We are here for the music. We're not here to, you know, be at, at other people's disposal sexually in any way. This is the Telecom Electronic Beats podcast, the podcast for music, culture, and the new now. Welcome to the Telecom Electronic Beats podcast. I am Gesine Kühne. My guest today is originally from Birmingham. Her name is Rebecca Teasdale. If you are into fast industrial techno, you know her by the DJ name Rebecca. And at this point, I would like to announce a trigger warning. As Rebecca and I talked about topics that can be re-traumatizing. So if you have been sexually harassed or worse, please listen to this episode with good and trustworthy company or skip it altogether. Rebecca started DJing when she was only 16 and had to experience sexism and sexual assault. She worked through it, so she's now able to talk about it. She also created a platform, metoo-music.com, where people can find help. She started a campaign with a letter to the dance music industry, but that's not all. A lot of people, especially male, aren't very fond of her doing of her engagement, so she's not only getting a love online. But have a listen yourself. Of course, we also talked about her music and the meaning of freedom. Welcome, Rebecca. It's uh, nice to see you again. We meet again after one and a half years. Uh, we had an interview and a beautiful chat about not such beautiful topics. And we will definitely talk about sexism and abuse in the electronic music scene because you are quite active and loud, which um, sadly is very important. Um, but before we come to the stomach churning topics, what have you been up to? How are you? I'm good, thanks. It's uh, great to see you again and hear you again. Um, I have, I've just been DJing, to be honest. DJing, making music, um, coming up with new ideas and projects for next year. Um, it feels like the, the first period of time when we came back from the, the few lockdowns that we had, it was just more about like finding, finding our feet. So I've been finding my feet, finding a direction, um, finding inspiration, I suppose, uh, to put back into the studio and, and then, yeah, now it's, it feels a bit more exciting again. You're originally from Birmingham. I want to go back into your past and your beginning, um, where you started your DJ career. Um, is Birmingham a good place for, for club life? Yeah, it's, it is. Birmingham is, um, it, it's always pretty lively. It's not always the music that I like, but there is always different scenes. So there's definitely uh, like a rock scene, uh, like Speed Garage, House is really popular there. Um, so, and Breakbeats as well, because it's the UK. So there's a, a large uh, student community and there's lots of different events. Um, so I think for a night out or a weekend in Birmingham, it's pretty good. It's also become um, a city where it's very much like a food paradise. So like if you want to book a restaurant in Birmingham, like last minute, it's impossible, um, a good restaurant. So it's become like a place to go out and eat and indulge. Um, techno music, mm, it's, uh, there is definitely more nights popping up in recent times, um, but it's always very niche, very small, like maybe 300 people capacity parties, not like 
the kind of size that we have, say, in Berlin or mm. Holland, France, for instance. Not having a, a proper techno scene or dance scene, but breakbeats, okay. Um, <laughs> but you did decide when you were 16, which was 1996, um, to become a DJ. Um, first of all, I guess female DJs weren't so obvious like they are today. Also with um, the music you just described, what was your initial thought that you decided, yeah, I want to be a DJ? I think it was it was really after going out to um, like a club um, a few times and I, I just loved it. I just found something that I was, I don't know, like it gave me something to be in the crowd or I remember it was always on a podium dancing and um It was like funky house back then or like it was called handbag house at the time. So it was like very much like very much uplifting, feel good music. And I just remember looking at the DJ one night and I was just like, that's what I want to do. I want to be in the center of the room and I want to be like being in control of the music. So it's kind of like a, I suppose, um, an ego driven dream at that point in time. I won't lie because it wasn't like I was connected to dancing and music, but It wasn't like a massive passion for music. I did like different music growing up. Um, I've always been around music. Um, but it took me a long time after that to really educate myself on the dance scene, where it came from, the history. Like I couldn't get enough of reading about it and reading all the magazines every month and learning about Chicago and Detroit and where this came from. And um, yeah, so it, was, it took me a while after the initial dream to really, you know, educate myself and learning about the scene and music. Um, so, yeah, it's been a long journey. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, thanks for your honesty. I mean, you're really rarely hear, uh, hear someone say, hey, it was an ego thing that I wanted to be in charge of the music. I don't know if, if uh, male DJs would actually say that even that was the case here and there. Maybe I don't know. I don't want to put any rumors out, but uh, I find that quite bold. Um, also, it sounds very self-confident. Were you a self-confident teen? No, and that's why it was ego-driven okay. because it was like I had no confidence, no self-esteem. Um, I was coming from a place where I was deeply, deeply unhappy. And like I said, I found something and it was like I wanted to be more involved I, because it gave me such a good feeling. I suppose I really mm -hmm. wanted to be involved in it because everything else in my life felt so miserable. Mm -hmm. um, and then from that point on, I've been such I'm very single minded. Like, so it's like if I'm really into something, I have like, you know, the horse has the, the blinkers. So you can only look in one direction. I'm very yeah. much like that. So, yes, the, it was definitely like kind of an ego dream at 16 because I don't think you have what else is there to be driving you um but yeah the downfall or the downside of that was like oh my gosh I've got to get over getting on stage in front of people and I'm actually really mm -hmm. shy and I don't have mm -hmm. the confidence so that's when obviously the drinking and partying and you know things that would help me get that confidence and mm -hmm. I see it all the time with DJs it's it's not it's still quite current and Uh, common to see DJs that can't DJ without having a shot or, you know, having drinks. And then by the end of their set, they're just, they don't even know what they're doing anymore. I've been mm. there. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and now everything kind of lines up to the next thing. I'm going to tell the listeners um, what we've been talking about before is your first 
encounter of uh, sexism in the scene when you were deciding or when you decided you become a DJ, of course, you needed to um, get money for records because they are expensive or were expensive back in the days too for a teenager, for sure. Um, and you walked into a record shop asking for a job. And what had happened then? Uh, they, they just made a really kind of joke and said, huh, you could give me a blowjob rather than a job. Like, you know, so it was just a very sexist comment. And I, I didn't really know what to do with it. I was like, oh, okay. You kind of laugh it off and like, you just move on and you're like, okay, that just put that down as a whatever. But I think at the age of, I must've been 17 at the time. And like, like I probably looked so young for my age. They are clearly were never going to take me seriously. But mm -hmm. it's like, how do you learn? Like, like I said before, I was reading all the magazines and I wanted to be so close to the music. It just seemed like such a perfect opportunity. And I think now I would say that the record shops are probably looking for young females to bring in and, and give them an opportunity and young mm -hmm. people in general, you know, because we can only keep what we have by giving it away. So we've got to train people in different areas of the scene and the industry to keep it going, you know, if they mm. have a big passion. But yeah, that was my first encounter and um, definitely, needless to say, unfortunately, not the last. Yeah. yeah. I have written down a passage of something you wrote and I just want to cite that real quick. Hello, it's me, your friend. I'm the woman behind the decks, the one you invite to conduct the show. I'm the person of color in the first row who refuses to leave until the lights come on. I'm the artist liaison, the LGBTQT sound engineer, the migrant girl behind the bar on her feet for hours making sure it is your night. And then it goes on. I don't ask much from you. I don't often complain. To sum it up, I'm doing it for the music and nothing more. Um, and that's just part of a campaign letter, a letter to the industry that you wrote um, about two years ago. Was it 20? Yeah. Like it was autumn 2020. And it's super, um, I, like I get goosebumps in a good and bad way because um, I feel all the feelings being part of the Flinter community. We, we say Flinter in Germany. You, you came across the term a lot of times, um, uh, but I don't know how. Is that a common term in England also? Um, mm. No, not so much. So Flinter, no. if you have some foreign listeners, is um, female, lesbian, intersexual, non-binary, uh, trans and asexual. And of course, plus all marginalized groups. And there's lots of lots of good things happening for marginalized groups in, in the dance, you know, just in general to... Um, Yeah, to emphasize the problem of sexism, of racism, transphobia, and so on, um, homophobia. Um, why did you write this open letter to the to the dance industry, the music industry? Um, I mean, I can't take actual credit for the letter. It was mm -hmm. written by Pia, who's my partner at Me Too, um, and she's an amazing uh, writer. We had this idea that we wanted to get some awareness out there about what's been going on. Obviously the, the timing was, um, you know, going from the, the case of uh, Eric Murillo allegations and then further into the Derek May allegations that we were hearing about. And then it was really just to kind of like, 
I don't know, maybe try and get people to think a little bit differently or feel a bit differently. Um, and I felt like that is, it's our story, you know, it's every woman's story or every minority story. And we were hearing so many more stories. We did the Me Too in so many people got in touch and shared their experiences. So we wanted to capture all of these experiences and, and say, we are here for the music. We're not here to, to you know, be at, at other people's disposal sexually in any way. And mm -hmm. we know that it, this, the forms of uh, sexual harassment and abuse and discrimination and all of these things are like so widespread. Every, you, you know, like you will speak to any woman or minority in this industry and you will find uh, they have at least one story yeah of uh, in fact there's a study that still hasn't really fully come out and it's the um electronic music initiative inclusion initiative and they have a huge study um which basically gives evidence around all of these things saying like 86 percent of people in this industry have at least more than one incident um you know, HR in companies is is like the least place where people want to report discrimination. And uh, I think number two, the highest um, form of discrimination on the list of all the experiences that they collected was sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. So we've got a lot of work to do. And hopefully with these studies and figures and we can actually give some evidence now because there's so many people that don't believe that people that read that and be like, they still don't. I don't know, they lack the empathy because they don't see the consequences of what happens to these women and minorities that have this form of discrimination. They don't see that they get withdrawn, they get depressed, they carry these things. Why do I remember something from the age of, you know, 17 when I went into the record shop? Why have I carried that with me 20 odd years later? Because it was such a, I was shamed, you know, mm -hmm. it was somebody tried mm -hmm. to shame me sexually and make me feel inferior for me to ask something so simple. You know, if I asked to ask for something, I wasn't allowed to, I was just sexually shamed. So mm. I really think no one sees these consequences. They just see, they see the sexualized version of us. And that's generally what happens when we're in a male dominated industry. Like they don't see the person behind it. They just see the image. Yeah. So. And it's not only the industry, as I said before, it's uh, it's our whole society. And uh, I mean, I've been always quite active in, in my position as a journalist to report. Um, so I've been reading all the comments um, when you or other people spoke out uh, about late Eric Morello or Derek May, especially Derek May. A lot of people saying, oh, but he's like one of the godfathers of techno. He would never do blah, blah, blah. They're mixing two things that have nothing to do with each other, you know. Um, even as whatever genius, you can be a predator if you have your mindset or if you were brought up this way in a um, yeah patriarchy as we live in. I think it's very easy to get into this um into this mindset that there's something better than us because, I mean, when did we get the rights to vote? Um, in the 50s, we were still like little housewives and not able to work properly or whatsoever. Um, so it's, it's very, very hard to read those comments as just an outsider looking at it, reporting on it. 
But you probably, did you get hate messages for being so loud about those cases? Uh, yes, I, I get and still do occasionally get um, messages that come in and, you know, like they, they like to use my past modeling career or, you know, to discredit me in some mm. way. Um, right now, because we haven't been so public with, uh, like I haven't been massively public, we've been letting the, the women tell their stories if they want to publicly and obviously showing them support. So there's a lot of stuff that it kind of goes on in the background and we still get, We still get people trying to silence us and people saying that we, uh, you know, we're not we're not doing what we should be doing properly. Um, and there's still a resistance to change just overall. Like the the hierarchy still wants things to be how it is, which is everything shushed up and behind closed doors and nothing public. Um, but what we've found is that when we've left things like that, when there's been cases and we do approach people that, are behind those closed doors to inform them. Nothing actually happens. No changes are made. And the only time changes get made is when things go public. It's like this mm -hmm. kind of like morality measurement stick is like it's only measured against things when things go public and you could, your person, you know, your actual reputation is on the line rather than actually doing the right thing behind those closed doors. And that's the problem. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest problems um, I've kind of veered again. Um, but yes, there has been, um, I mean, I, I came off Facebook because I just couldn't hack it anymore. Mm -hmm. And now I just don't read the comments. If I put something up, um, I try not to read the comments. And to be honest, like it's, a lot of people, I, let, I just let people have their own communications as well because it's you put something up that's kind of thought-provoking, you want people to have these conversations. The only uh, request I make is that it's done with respect. Mm -hmm. You know, keep an open mind, but obviously social media can obviously be really misconstrued. Um, so, yeah, Facebook is uh, seems to be worse than Instagram. Instagram seems to be... Um, a bit more younger and a bit more open-minded uh, where I feel like Facebook is, is a bit more like my age group who, I don't know, you know, age, this age group and over and up and they're, they're very opinionated and a bit more stubborn. And mm -hmm. uh, I don't true. know. It's a, it's a platform for our parents these days, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I understand why no young people uh, is on Facebook anymore or doesn't even know the name. Autumn 2020 was probably a good time because we all had so much time on our hands to sit back, relax and actually have a look from kind of the outside onto what's happening in the world. Um, and I found it amazing how much was done for the females at that time up till today because um, there's this Instagram page called I am a DJ which was uh, also founded around that time because it's very important to call a female DJ a DJ and not a DJ because that's um, <laughs> degrading and it was invented by promoters back in the days to just uh, tokenize a female DJ to say hey this is a woman playing um, so This happened and also 
Groove magazine had a huge feature last year um, about sexism and abuse in a scene called Das Patriarchat hat Gästeliste. Um, Lea Schröder is the journalist here and I really recommend this piece of reading to everyone, really everyone, to get an insight what's actually happening and how, how awful it is. And then there's just now... Um, The documentary called Call Me DJ, um, it's on ARD, the biggest German public TV station. Okay, it's only online, but still, it's a huge step that a public uh, TV station of that, yeah, of that size would pick up a documentary. And you're also part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. what was your part in that documentary? I just had an interview about uh, pretty much similar to what we're talking about now, just a, a little bit about my past and then about the campaign and why things are so important, why it's so important to speak out about these things and these important topics. Um, but yeah, it was super nice, like, to be involved in that. Yeah, it's, I think it's good to be seen. And especially since you have been doing the work also, um, it's it's good that... Uh, your face is on that documentary so people can actually get back now I'll get to to your for the music your web page it's called me too minus music.com and people who have been abused or Uh, suffered from really bad sexism and so on can actually leave a testimonial uh, anonymously so no name nothing is is dropped there so it's it's a good outlet to reach out um, and share the story which is always the first step um, what what else is possible with this web page what what do you want with uh, me too minus music.com um, it, I think it, it's also a place, it's a place of resources. So we have covered a lot of uh, resources for different individual countries. So if you are um, needing help, if you've been raped or seriously assaulted, or you just want to speak to somebody, there will be a resource for you over there. Uh, there's a little bit of information about consent. So we've worked with an initiative and We have got some information about what consent looks like. If you want to educate yourself a little bit more um, as a clubber, um, you know, we really encourage people to have a look at that, read through some of the things which might help you sort of navigating this, this area um, to make things a little bit more clearer. And you can also learn about uh, the other ambassadors. So we have ambassadors. We've got more coming as well. We've, we're now in talks with um, a couple of people in Greece. So we, the idea is to have ambassadors in different countries where if, if English isn't your native language, then you can also reach out and we can connect you with an ambassador in your area uh, if, if you'd like to discuss more. Um, we can offer free legal advice. Um, you know, we can offer just support and we're just here to listen, really. Um, but there's also, we're partnered with AFEM. So AFEM also offer uh, similar services. They also have a 24-hour hotline. Um, so at any point in time you need help, there's this hotline um, and it's with a registered charity as well. So there's definitely professionals to help you there. Yeah, and also we offer the the venues and the promoters. There's another aspect where we offer support for them to, to you know, 
recommend posters, having a zero tolerance policy, having reporting systems in place to make the night safer. We also work with initiatives that can connect uh, the clubs to the initiative to also work on um, training, training for the staff, uh, getting, like I said, HR is really failing so we can offer these initiatives that will help with the code of conduct for the companies. Uh, they get really involved. Um, it's not a, it's not a quick fix, but if the companies, uh, not just the venues, but also for the tech companies, so forth, for all areas of dance music, um, it's a free service and they can offer uh, a way of, you know, really getting this stuff into ingrained into the culture of your, your company and making that reporting system uh, work because HR is not working as I stated earlier with the, the study that we now have. So yeah, there's a lot, there's so many different angles to, to what we're trying to do. And um, it's really just like looking at the scene and, and seeing what areas we could control around this and what can we offer and what can we help, what can we possibly change for mm. the, for the, it's just a long process. <laughs> um. I'm pretty sure that a lot of uh, listeners, male listeners, um, are quite open-minded. And yeah, how can I get involved and how can I be an ally? Male DJs or male guests or anyone who is uh, not considered one of the minorities? I think just by, I think for the male DJs, it's like you can have... You could have like a rider in your contract which states that the, the, the venue, you know, needs to be a zero tolerance policy that, you know, any any form of discrimination at your events that you're playing at should not be tolerated. Um, and then that gives a little bit of uh, kind of like a bit of responsibility for, to the, for the venue to do a little bit more. So you could use that in a way for good. Mm -hmm. um, show support to your colleagues You know, if they if they want to come to you with a with an issue, listen, support them, and obviously share information on your social medias. If you've got big platforms, you know, share about campaigns, share about what's right. There's um, Saytech has been doing a really good job recently, and he's obviously on his travels. He's just experiencing this discrimination, and he has been making posts quite regular about you know, come on, guys. What are you doing? This is not acceptable. Um, and like really putting messages out there mm -hmm. and just to just to show that, it, you know, the culture can be changed. And I think if you're a clubber, a male clubber, just keep an eye out, you know, like keep an eye out on people and what their behavior is. Um, because, you know, like I, I can't not see things now. I go into a club and I'm like, you know, I can see the, the dynamics between people. Um, and I think it's just watching out for that. And if you do see something, you know, just just step in and just see if the person is okay, you know. And, and also we know that this stuff does happen to men as well. Mm -hmm. So we've got to look out. It's not just a female minority thing. It's an everybody thing. Like, let's become a community together. Let's take responsibility. And, you know, the responsibility doesn't just solely lie on The, the people that run the venues, it's like everybody that goes into that club, you know, you want to be part of something and this is how community works, basically. Mm. Um, I've looked up your letter again or the petition slash letter and it has almost 5,000 signatures, which isn't so much really after two years. Um, are you sometimes a bit disappointed that 
apparently it's not number one topic on everyone's list to become an ally or be supportive um, and against sexism and all other isms and phobia. Um, yeah, a little bit disappointing, but I think it's just because it's not so clear. Mm. You know, there's it's such a, the topic itself, the nature of the topic, it, you know, when it comes down to one person's word against another person's word, it's not so clear rather than like a complete action of this happened, you know. Um, all I was saying in that is that, you know, like 96 or 94% of the time, the person that comes out and tells you something or goes online and says something is telling the truth, like statistically. Mm. So um, it's kind of, yeah, I think I think that's generally why. And also people don't want to get involved in it. It's like, because it, it's, you know, coming from a male-dominated industry, um, you know, the females have just been kind of like conditioned to not, want to speak out to stay silent so the support just hasn't been there but I think privately the support is there mm -hmm. whether people went out publicly and we we pushed I mean at the time when we pushed that out the awareness out you know we went through a lot of channels but it could have gone through more channels if the bigger people in the industry you know were supporting but you know it's a lot of their friends and you know and also I think there's there's an aspect where people don't want to publicly support something because they're just not sure that maybe one instance in their past might might have been a little bit blurry and that could also come back to haunt them as well. Mm -hmm. um, another factor I'm finding out about is me personally, um, that, you know, the, a lot of my peers think that I did this for publicity mm -hmm. um, and obviously for a Me Too movement, you need somebody to kind of like, figurehead something um obviously at the time when I came out with this it was just really a knee-jerk reaction to the stories I was hearing and mentoring young women in the industry so for me I felt a massive responsibility to do this um and you know like I've lost so many followers so many fans because they just don't want to hear it they want to hear my music they want to hear you know they don't want to be reminded about this stuff it's It's just too much for people. It's uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So a, a lot of my peers have this impression that I'm just after publicity and, you know, and, and I, I never wanted it to just be about myself. I wanted to bring in as many people as possible. I wanted to bring all my peers in and my, all my peers stand up for this, you know, like mm. that would be the dream. And, and it's like, it's not a competition, you know, it's not a a competition for who's the person that's going to do this. Like, I want people to, to work with. Mm. I don't want to be out alone doing this. I want help and I want us all to join together as the community. Um, and that's why I'm really grateful for all the, the, the ambassadors that I already have. Yeah. Help me. I mean, it's super brave of you to speak so openly about what happened to you in the past. Um, I mean, We haven't even talked about all the stations and I don't even want to because I think uh, it could be quite re-traumatizing at times. I mean, you're stable and fine and, and sober, so you, you seem like a person to be really able to talk about that. Um, but people who listen to this podcast, that could be uh, quite harsh. So leaving all the harsh facts out, they can read about it if they want to know because you spoke about it uh, openly. Um 
but also, I mean, the audacity to say that you do it for publicity, to speak out about very important topics in the scene. And that's not only um, the, the sexual abuse or harassment, it's also, um, yeah, abusing drugs. So they're not not just like a enhancer anymore, but part of, of the business, you know. I, nobody really talks about it. They, they keep quiet. And I think it's very important because um, we need to be aware that alcohol and drugs are in some way kind of dangerous as well you know um it's 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 not only high life and sunshine uh, and happiness so um props to you that you you do speak about that i really admire that and it's um it's sad that again a lot of females feel intimidated by the industry or society not to speak openly about it because again there would be the shaming all the time. And if you're not good with yourself, if, if you're not like cleaned up with therapy and whatsoever, you don't want to deal with that because that can send you right back into depression and stuff. So um, it's awfully sad because that's our society. <laughs> Come to you now, <laughs> you as an artist. Um, we spoke so much uh, about your campaign and your engagement. Um, but you are very important too in the music scene because you are a big figure in techno these days. <laughs> so um, did that all happen with your move to Berlin or was there already England an important part of your career um, coming, becoming what you are now? Um, I think the, like the isolation of being in, in Birmingham when I kind of got clean and... Um, decided, I, was, I mean, I threw out the DJing part. I was like, I'm going to become a producer. I'm just going to, you know, there was a turning point at some point. And I think the isolation allowed me to really focus on um, making music and nothing else, again, to have that kind of uh, streamlined in. Um, so I really, really loved that period of time. It was a really pure time of like me learning about myself, uh, learning to live without drugs and alcohol, and then really learning, you know, production and just, you know, who, who, what, what did I have to say as a producer and what's my style? So I think that was like the foundation that I had. And then coming to Berlin, the Berlin aspect was just complete freedom. It was like, you know, like it, it wasn't as, all of those things were good, but it was still kind of limited. And then Berlin just opened everything up to, you know, whatever you want to do, you can do it here. There's so much mm -hmm. freedom and space to do it. And, um, you know, the lifestyle is, is really geared up to it. So it's a little bit more relaxed to have more people to be social with and which also is a bit of a hindrance at times. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I think both of those factors have, have really influenced me as a producer mm -hmm. and as a DJ. Um, but now I get influenced from... I know, I still get influences from all over, like different things, films and you know, things that I'm interested in and uh, going out hiking. Sometimes you just need some peace of mind. Um, and then, you know, what the kids are doing as well. Like, it's really interesting to see their development. Like, I love watching producers that may have been influenced by me back, like, you know, my C my CLR days. Um, 
to then taking something and then how they develop and bring in their influences. And it's just, it's just amazing to see, to be honest. Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah. How long have you been living in Berlin? Uh, ten years now. Ten years. That's a long yeah. time. Yeah. So um, you just mentioned CLR. Um, that was Chris Liebig yeah. um, signing you. Was that also an important moment in your career, having this uh, German great DJ and record label owner um, trusting in your style um, that you felt maybe even closer to Germany to make, yeah, to, to do what you do now? Because, I mean, you, you, I think you're very... You're very Berlin, you know, uh, with your uh, clothing and very fast techno at the moment. It's, uh, it's it's super, super. It sounds like very much Berlin. So, yeah, I think it, it was it it was like it was what I wanted to do. I wanted to join a collective. I wanted the experience of being on a label and being part of the label and doing label parties and being part of something, you know, and. Um, When I first got signed, it was like the, that bit was, it was not hard. I mean, it was not easy, but it wasn't hard. But to do a second EP for them was even harder because it was like you, I almost felt like a fraud. Like I felt, what is it, imposer? Post, imposter, imposter yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I definitely had that and I felt like I didn't deserve it. And then there's also running through my mind, which... At the time, people, you know, on social media would like to remind me again, would be, oh, you know, you're only there because you're the the token girl. And obviously guys definitely make better music than you. You didn't really deserve it, but they needed a girl. Mm. Um, and maybe part of that's true, you know, um, but it gave me a, a platform to then be able to develop. Like, for me, my thinking was like, I should be the final product product now. Um, but really, in hindsight, CLR gave me an opportunity and then that gave me an opportunity to grow and develop as an artist anyway. So, so yeah, it was a massive honour. And, yeah, I think I was walking on air for about, I don't know, three months or something. <laughs> and, yeah, it's like now it's really exciting to see other people go through that and when you meet the new DJs that are coming through and they get these opportunities and you're like, I forgot what that feeling's like, but they mm. remind me. So, yeah, it's super nice. I would say you're quite established now, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, but still got lots to learn and, you know, develop still. There's still in my head, I have this, like, I feel like I should be at this level where I'm making sounds and noise and mm -hmm. drones and, you know, really experimental stuff. And in the end, that all that comes out of the studio is just bangers, like, <laughs> just four, four, <laughs> bit dumbed down, just straight bangers. And it's like, okay, okay I, so you want to produce for, myself. you want to <laughs> produce for a CDM festival where it's all weird music. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. Like my, that's where my ego goes. It's like, this is where you should be and blah, blah, blah. But in the end, it's just like, I like to have fun and I want to smile when I'm playing music and for me to smile when I'm DJing, it's took such a long time. Like now I'm at that point. So it's not necessarily that I'm established. I just feel more, more comfortable and more happy you, and just have fun with it. That's yeah. what it's so about, isn't it? You, share joy. Yeah, you, you've, <laughs> you've, you've found yourself and it, I think it's super important to share joy. I, I mean, yeah. I don't want to see any DJ with the mm, grumpy face there. Of course, concentration takes sometimes the smile away, definitely, but... Um, Yeah, I want to see that 
the people are having fun as well and that they're not just doing it maybe for their ego. I don't know. Um, yeah. um, talking of your very fast techno, um, it is a trend at the moment, I would say, as techno is undergoing trends too. Um, do you think this will change again or what's what's going to happen to you? Are you... Um, you always do you still go out do you have an ear out um, with your peers what's what they want and how you n not gonna um, turn yourself completely around but m maybe I don't know stay an artist on on top of time and yeah going with the flow do you think something something else is coming do you have to slow down a bit a couple of BPM <laughs> um. I, yeah, I don't really know. Like, I, I feel like it should be, it should be a point where something new comes along. And, but I also feel like what's happened in the techno scene is really similar to what happened in the house scene where you just have these kind of like subgenres of the genre, the little mm. pocket scenarios mm. where it's like one for house. It was like, you know, the, the, they did disco edits and then they do, you know, a bit more melodic and then they do, more, you know, and I feel like I really feel like uh, techno has kind of got to that point and there's so many different strains of techno with the little collectives and the, the certain artists that identify with that sound. So for it, it to be a massive U-turn into like all of a sudden there's a really big new hype with something within techno, I'm not sure. I mean, minimal is in theory and on paper should be the next thing to come back. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I start listening to like old minimal um It's just because we're in a really straight, fast territory, like it's very much like a question and answer with the music. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure whether people are quite ready for that yet. Uh, maybe they are, maybe they're not. And um, so I don't know. Like I, I knew Breakbeat was going to be pretty popular like the last couple of years. And it, and it is. And it's it's definitely in the UK scene. Like the Breakbeats is is really popular again. Um And so I knew that that was coming, but that necessarily doesn't necessarily translate into like Europe as yeah. well, yeah. as we know. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's been oh, around a long time. I, I feel like Berlin people hate breakbeats. Like put it on for 50 minutes and the dance floor is empty. Yeah, because they've got to, instead of doing this, uh, 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 they've got to move their hips a little bit and I don't know. It's, it's <laughs> Might be very, too difficult. It's very funny. It's always a joke between... Um, my techno friends, <laughs> <So> <laughs> they just hate it so much. Yeah. It's very, very, It's very confusion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so mm. I, I think I, I don't, I mean, what I would like to see, um, is well, like more sound design within the music. Okay. We've got to a place where we're very much sample heavy and it's fun, you know, like we've got the vocals and we've got the, like, you know, taking old tracks and revamping them. Um, I'm not a massive fan of all the pop edits that came through. Like, I, I don't want to hear Britney Spears in in the in a club. Um, I love her, but not but not me, even not even in like a housey setting where it's all glittery and stuff. Maybe not in the in the dark techno cellar, but I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe for house. I mean, house the house scene it definitely has its roots in sample based music where techno mm -hmm. necessarily didn't. Mm -hmm. So I feel like. That's for me, that's a conflict, but the kids like it. It's ironic. I get it. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, 
the tracks are played so fast now it's like if it's in it's out you know but <laughs> I would really love to see um to see like a return to like sound design to industrial and like that that area of the music has got like so limited like the producers are so lost well not all of them but I know some of them that are a little bit lost with which way to go and and I think this overthinking as well and I would love to see more sound designs or mm. discover more producers mm. doing sound design mm. but I have the feeling I always say that um, when I talk about very fast techno it's like sound design or just anything in the beat area needs time to breathe you know when it's yeah. so fast nothing can really happen anymore because there is no time for it I mean and no no not time no space for it yeah so Mm. Yeah, and that's why the it's like a wall of sound on the bottom plus, you know, then they have to put something high pitch, which usually mm. is vocals or subs or something. So it does become very limited and not enough space to, to have that creativity. So I do get that. Um, I mean, I like I'm kind of in between. I don't know, like I, I think then the records that you play at, at like 150 tend to be the more hardcore hard techno which is there is a lot of space because it is just the kick and mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. it is really well sound designed I think like Somniac One is doing a great job of that like just filling that space with very simple effective sounds so there is a there is a way to do it um but when you do it that way you kind of lose a bit of energy so it's like it sort of slows things down but then if you want more energy then you need all these polyrhythms and that's when things get a bit messy mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I agree yeah okay um are you Gotta spending... be something in the middle <laughs> yeah are you spending a lot of time in the studio at the moment or um yeah I am like I, I got back in and um I set myself a deadline to make the EP that's coming out in a couple of weeks um and I just was like if I don't set the deadline I'm just not going to do it it's just like too many things are open-ended and uh, so I, I got my shit together basically and um <laughs> create some tracks and uh they're not they're not like they're not like the best things I've probably done but it's for me it was just like I've just needed to get some of these like this energy out this mm -hmm. clubbing energy and I went from the clubs into the studio and I, I tried to make some high energy uh hard techno tracks and um you know, nothing too fancy, maybe add a little bit of sound design here and there. I still have a little bit of a feel for industrial music in there, some of the industrial sounds. Um, and, yeah, and I'm kind of happy with it. So I hope people will be happy with it too. And then now I'm almost, I've got a couple more collaborations, like, to do. And once that's done, I've kind of, I'm almost getting the mindset to maybe start working on an album because it's like I've got lots of different ideas floating around now what I want to say and what influences and inspiration I've got for that so hopefully start working on some album tracks in the next sort of six months to the next year. Before we come to an end because time is running quickly again it's a thing between us it just like goes so quick um, I want to talk to you about freedom what does freedom mean to you freedom is mostly for me it's a a state of mind like am I free in my mind you know how am I am I 
am I emotionally free right now? Um, I definitely haven't been for the last two days, but um, yeah, I think that's really it, like, have I got peace of mind? And that's my freedom. Mm. Um, and obviously that conflicts with the external because I see so many th things that aren't free, you know? Um, so yeah, I think for me is freedom. It's freedom to be creative. It's freedom uh, of negative thoughts. It's freedom of, uh, freedom of perfectionism you know, and all of these things generally add, add up into my mind and what I've had to work through for the last however many years, my life, mm. basically. Mm -hmm. um, um, so that's what it kind of means to me, I suppose. I have the feeling that um, females always have to work harder or um, females or flinter, let's call them flinter again, harder to to get a career and keep up the career. And what I've seen with colleagues of yours that they never really take the freedom of taking some time off. <laughs> um, do you manage that quite well? Do you take time off? Do you take longer breaks to, yeah, to get energy back? Uh, I, I mean, before the lockdown, I was at burnout. I think we spoke about it last mm. time. Um, so I, I obviously needed to take more breaks. This time, I mean, I think for the last period of time, I haven't taken that much time off. Um, and, yeah, some weeks are better than others. Um, but next year, like, I, I, I go away for, like, four weeks on, on a holiday. And then I'm looking at taking another three weeks off as well. So I'm trying to take more time off. Um But I think, yeah, we there was always that fear when you first start out, you just want to do as much as possible, take as many gigs and say yes to everything. Um, and now, like, yeah, with that experience comes the burnout or, you know, and, and I see that a lot with the younger artists. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's down to you. You've got to take that responsibility of your wealth, your health and your well-being. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, yeah, I, I think... For me, I don't want to get to the place where I was burnt out. Obviously, I've, I learned what the sources um, or the causes of my burnout was. Um, so if I get those symptoms again, I know that what I need to do, um, but hopefully it doesn't get there. But now I'm kind of happy if I've got one gig in the weekend, it's, it's totally okay. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of nice. And yeah, like it's balance. I think now for me, it's all about balance, like a bit of sport, um, You know, I, I game a little bit. It's like that's from what I've, you know, sit down and game a little bit, which has been really good for me. Um, go to the studio, do music, do the campaign. And everything at the minute feels very balanced. And that's, mm -hmm. it's not one area where like, you know, we've, before it's CrossFit flat out five days a week, you know, coming mm -hmm. back and no sleep, doing CrossFit, lifting things, you mm -hmm. know, like what, what was I thinking? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, balance is key. And is it true that you have a camper? Is that hashtag uh, camper life for you, a van life? <laughs> the Armin Van Turin van. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's outside actually, it's still out there. And that's one of the trips I'm looking at doing next year. I want to go to Iceland and apparently you can take the van to Denmark. Mm -hmm. You get a ferry from Denmark um, to Iceland, but on the way you stop at the Faroe Islands which would be incredible. So mm -hmm. you, you do two days on the ferry, then you get dropped off in Iceland, drive around, see the sights. It's meant to be really expensive. So bring your own food. 
<laughs> and then um, yeah, go to, go to Aldi, take all the Aldi food, and then uh, you're good. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I haven't done as much as I'd like to because I've been DJing a little bit more. But I realise I have to. You got to plan for things. So I've got to take the time off, yeah. regardless of what gigs come in. You know. Yeah, so, and oh, it's a, it's it's such a hard feeling, right? When you have job offers and you're like, no, I planned a holiday and I'm a freelancer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but we have to get rid of that because that's just being caught in a very capitalistic system. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, it, yeah, it's difficult. And you were also in Tibet, is that correct? In where? Sorry, in Tibet. In Tibet? Um, yeah. No, I was on the other side. I was in Nepal. Oh, oh Nepal. Yeah. Um, so you did some um, meditation practice or was it just getting to know the, the country a bit? Um, it was walking meditation. Oh, so no. <laughs> <laughs> we went to, had a couple of days in Kathmandu and I and my friends, we went to um, Everest Base Camp. Mm -hmm. Basically, I... I I'd had it, I was, it was on my radar to do it before we got locked down. And then it was figuring out when, and I kept looking at dates um, as we came back, looking at the dates, looking at the dates. And then that year, the previous year, my real father passed away. And I think the day that he passed away, I was just like, right, I'm going to book it now. I feel like that's what I wanted to do. And, and what that really gave me was like, my, my granddad passed away not long after him. And it was just like, I realize that life is short and it, it comes back to you saying about taking time off and it's like mm -hmm. it's so important to do the things that you want to do and do them while you're fit and healthy um so for me to go to the Himalaya and go hiking and walk for like 12 to 14 days it's like that's I want to do that now rather than wait till I'm like retired mm -hmm. you know to do it and then maybe my hips are giving out and my knees can't can't cope they're almost like that now but um But yeah, so that was why it was really important to go. And yeah, it was amazing. Like the, we went in the winter, it was really, really cold. Like it was beautiful in the day because you still had the sunshine and all the snow and ice and yeah, it was gorgeous. But at nighttime when you had to get into your cold room in minus 20 in your full, full clothing into a sleeping bag with quilts on top of you. And then if you woke up in the middle of the night needing the toilet, it's like, Can, can I hold it? It's too cold. I, I don't want to go out there. It's freezing. Like it was bitter. Um, so for me now, after doing that, I feel like that the camper is the thing in between, which is like, that's the way forward. Okay. Well, yeah. uh, first of all, sorry for your losses. Um, okay. um, and thank you for sharing everything that you shared and keep up the balance. It sounds really healthy, actually. <laughs> so um, I... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with you, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. No, um, thank you so much, really, for your honesty, for everything you shared with us. And I hope that a lot of people get involved, become allies. Um, let's hopefully make this a tiny bit of a better world. And let's all keep a balance, which is also important. That got sucked in and eaten up by capitalism. <laughs> so thank you. Thanks for having me again. It was great to see you. Great to see you too. Yeah. Bye. Bye. 
So that was my chat with Rebecca. I hope you could take something valuable from this talk. All the web pages mentioned and the feature and the documentary recommendations you will find in the show notes. If you like this episode, please give us a follow or a like on Spotify, for example. But you can always listen to all the episodes and find other interesting articles on the Electronic Beats webpage. See you in the club.